Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show where we take what people were saying about Doctor Who back in the 80s and the 90s in magazines and fanzines and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to the primary source or it might go off on its own strange tangent. Who knows? For this episode, I'm joined by my Doctor Who show co-host Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, Rob. How's things? Things is good. Things is exciting. Ready to go. Excellent. Well, before we get into this one, I'm going to tell you, we normally do three letters. Tonight, Dave, I'm going to try and do it with two. Okay. Because this letters page is is very short. It's only a single letters page, and it would be remiss of me not to say which issue we're in of Doctor Who magazine. It is issue 273, January of 1999, and I couldn't go past one of the letters, so... (laughs) Okay. I thought, okay, I can only pull two out of this. Let's go with two. Excellent. So, sorry, say it again. Which month are we? We are in January of 1999. 99? Yeah. Goodness, I was at university. Mm. And I have no idea where this first letter is going to go, but I just have to read it. Right, I'm ready. The letter is called, It's a Wonderful Life. And it begins, I have been trying to get ready for the 35th anniversary I am very excited. I try buying Doctor Who merchandise, but my parents will not let me. Whenever I try and watch Doctor Who, I get yelled at by my father. He hates Doctor Who because it is British. He does not like the British because the British were not nice to the Turks. I told my father that is history. My father said that Doctor Who is history, and I just yelled back at him, so I've gotten into a lot of trouble. My mother will not let me get the memorabilia because she says it costs a lot. I asked her if I could go to the 35-up convention in England and my mother said, shut the hell up. I told her we should have enough money to go to England because this last summer we went to Turkey. To tell you the truth, I did not do so well in school last year because of getting ready for the 35th anniversary. I was born too late. I wish I was born 40 or 50 years before so I could have seen Doctor Who's debut. I missed it all, and I'm going to again. I hope all of you at Doctor Who magazine will have a nice and enjoyable anniversary that will never be forgotten. I will somehow celebrate. I am so far away from England. And that's from Basin Ahmet Tulu, Michigan, USA. Dave. (laughs) As, As always, Rob, with your picks, there's a lot there that we can talk about, and my mind can go in all sorts of directions. And yes. the first place my mind is going is to the myth makers, because when you mentioned Turkey, mm-hmm. I thought, well, Troy was in Turkey. Yes. And the myth makers were set in Troy. And <laughs> the myth makers is a really fun, witty little story that I think were it to be discovered would actually be very, very highly regarded. Very similar, I think, to the Romans. Mm-hmm. Just that fun, witty story with a little bit of darkness. And, uh, and that's very interesting. But... I suspect that's not the real point that the uh, the author would want me to take out of his letter. Probably not. Um, I must admit, as you were reading it and it was going through, I did sort of have a a vague like sense that maybe uh, you know this the, the, the author was going to end up being somebody ironically famous or something like, you know, and that was signed by Billy Piper, you know. <laughs> Um, well, you know, um, probably, you know, anybody like Russell T. Davies or Stephen Moffat would, um, would be, Matt Smith might be the right age. How old was Matt Smith in 99? Is he younger than me? Oh, gosh. I think he is, yes. Yeah, so. Could be. 
probably not quite that young, but yes, I thought it was going to be, you know, signed Matt Smith, you know, and, and he went on to be the Doctor and showed his parents. Um, but, but, but no, it wasn't. That would have been fabulous. Um, I mean, I mean, there is that old Peter Capaldi, you know, wrote to Dwass and all the rest of it when he was a kid. So th- those things are out there. It's very, very 1999. Mm. And it's funny because this was the period when I was towards the end of my time in fandom, or at least my, my first big time in fandom when I'd been very active in the 90s, because there was that sort of feeling. This, this is probably the, the, the darkest of the dark. Yeah. In terms of the, the telemovie come out in 96, it had flopped, you know, and, and whether you like it or not, it, it, it didn't lead to a series. And it was kind of like, well, that didn't work. And I guess the show's not coming back. And DWM was really struggling to know what to do with itself. Like, mm. you know, the, this is the sort of the period, again, and I think I was still buying DWM at this stage, but probably not for much longer when it, it was sort of, here we have a four-page special interview with the fourth Ogon from the left. <laughs> and you sort of like, yeah, they're getting a little desperate. Or, you know, we're interviewing Nick Courtney again. Mm. And um, that, that kind of was the vibe around fandom. So it was a little bit negative. And I think a lot of people were moving away from the show, um, including loyal, loyal viewers and loyal fans. And so for somebody getting into the show at that point, it would have been a really tough time. Like even tougher than getting into it in the early 90s, mm. they're, they're just like, like, what do you do? I mean, I don't think Big Finish come around at this stage. The the Virgin books had gone. The, the BBC books were out there and they could have got into that. But there wasn't a lot around. So I certainly can kind of understand that. As for the parenting, well... <sighs> I get the feeling his parents are possibly immigrants to the US if they're still going back to Turkey. And he's a young boy of Turkish parents he's in Michigan and he's into Doctor Who in 1999 it's it's a strange mix I mean they make movies about that don't they Mm. Um, there was there was that movie that was out I want to say at the start of last year we're recording this in early 2021 I want to say early 2020 there was a movie the title of which escapes me but it was about the son of an immigrant family in the UK who who found his uh, artistic release through Springsteen and through Springsteen he was inspired to be a better writer and he won creative prizes and his parents were no you've got to you know stay and get a real job and mm. you know we, we didn't emigrate to this family for you to go and listen to rock music and, and become a writer um, and, and you know that's one example of many you think of you know sitcom characters drama characters movies there there is a trope there uh, and as somebody who went to high school with um at a selective entry boys school that had a very large number of those first generation immigrants that you know the, the parents wanted the, the absolute best for them because they had got this this opportunity in this new land whether it's australia or america whatever mm. i can i can personally you know think of families like that the idea of doctor who being a release for them it's it's interesting i like it the idea of writing that to DWM and, and DWM publishing it. I think, you know, well done to them for that. Yeah. Because it, it, it is interesting and, 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 you know, very foreign to me because I discovered Doctor Who through my dad. You know, my dad was a fan from November 1963 and, you know, I, I, I had no choice. You know, if he was <laughs> if he was looking after me, Doctor Who was on. <laughs> well, this is so, the thing because yeah. you and I have spoken about this before our, our sort of debuts into Doctor Who fandom and you've, you've spoken very, very lovingly about your dad bringing you into it, into it. And I've 
thought back on my time and like my mum was very supportive of me. She'd drive me to the local fan group meetings and such. But my dad kind of didn't get how obsessive I was about it. And he used to actually refer to the show <laughs> I can't believe I'm gonna say this on the podcast as Doctor Bloody Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> He'd say, oh, you're watching that Dr. Bloody Stupid again. And he he didn't get me being fanatical for it at all. So I, I kind of feel for this kid, actually. Yeah, the thing that my mum didn't get was how you could watch something again. Right. And again. You know, it's like, well, why do you want to watch that? You've watched that. Um, she never sort of understood that thing. Whereas, whereas my dad was much more the same of like, you know, you have your favourite series and you go and you watch them again and you find new things in them and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, a, a lot to unpack in that and a very different letter. I, I I think that's all I've got to say. But um, the myth makers were set in Turkey. That's that's my headline. <laughs> I, I think I want to find... Is it is it stalkerish if I try and find Baysan on Facebook or Twitter or something and say, hey... 23 years ago, 22 years ago, you wrote this. Um, it would depend entirely how he took it, I think. <laughs> he might be like, oh, I fell out of love with Doctor Who the following year. I haven't, haven't cared about it in 20 years. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Wow. Shall we move on? Please. Okay, this one is called Praying for Rain. Oh, the horror of it. The release of the Ice Warriors collection, quite the finest piece of Doctor Who merchandise the BBC has ever produced, has been marred by one silly, irritating, niggling thing. The compilers have forgot to include the two existing clips from the Abominable Snowman episode 4. Every other clip from a missing episode is there, bar these two tiny extracts. It is strangely ironic, given they were discovered by Steve Roberts, one of the leading members of the team behind the fantastic Missing Years documentary. However, we should not let this omission cloud our appreciation of what is a truly fantastic package. The documentary is marvellous, and the care and attention that has been lavished on it can only be applauded. Ah, the pleasure that I felt at being able to finally see a chumbly. The presentation of the Ice Warriors itself is quite superb with beautiful prints of the episodes and an ingenious linking segment covering the two missing instalments. Let us hope this will serve as a portent for things to come. The Reign of Terror and the Tenth Planet are long overdue for a video release, and this format would be far more suitable than the old Talking Heads approach of the invasion. And why not put out improved versions of stories? The moon base could be turned into a marvellously watchable experience with the telesnaps and audio extracts approach, especially as a better copy of episode 4 has now been found. Also to be praised is the fantastic quality CD of the two missing episodes. More please, even if they're on tape rather than CD. Let's see Marco Polo and the Daleks master plan on the shelves within a year. The Ice Warriors collection has set new standards for the release of Doctor Who. Let us hope they can be maintained. And that's from Mark Roberts in Leicester. Leicester. Fantastic. Mm. The Earl of Leicester is played by... Um... Here we go. <laughs> no, never mind. I won't, I, won't go down into, uh, I won't go down into classic British um, stuff. That's really, really interesting, Rob, because coming from this time period... It actually is invoking very genuine and very real memories for me. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you mentioned that Ice Warriors pack, I can remember 
the Doctor Who Club of Victoria Christmas party of December 1998, uh, it being a big deal that we had a copy of this that had been, you know, air mailed out from from the UK to to, to, to raffle off as the big prize for the day. And, oh, really? And yeah, yeah, it was it was a big deal. I think up there with probably the Crusade release as sort of you know a really big like wow this is a this is a big deal video release that everyone was really excited by and it looked nice and had the big box cover and, and everything so yeah i didn't get this so when i was reading about it, i'm like oh it's got a cd and it's got a documentary it's it's like a dvd before there were dvds oh i guess there were dvds in 99 but you know what i mean yeah yeah certainly before there were doctor who dvds i don't think the yeah. first one of those was coming out for another maybe a year or so before they were doing those vanilla releases of things mm. like Androzani. And and yeah, I mean that that doco was interesting because it was probably the first really professional fan-made doco that I can remember. We had Resistance is Useless in 93, which was basically a clip show and it was mm. fun and there were lots of clips from stories that we hadn't seen before, so that was nice and uh, the Who's Doctor Who documentary that the Lively Arts did in 77, I want to say, which is, yeah. you know, talking to, you know, strange British psychologists about what kids' dreams told him about Doctor Who and stuff, which was very bizarre. <laughs> but some good background footage of Talons of Wen Chiang. That had some actual school kids in it as well. I, I seem to have a memory of kids in a schoolroom talking about why they like Doctor Who. Is that, is that the same one? That's the same one, yeah. yeah so that, yeah. That, that, was a, that was a very outsider's doco about Doctor Who. Whereas this, this, this was, you know... I mean, I mean, this is the period where fans have really taken over the Doctor Who industry and mm. they're making the merchandise that they want to buy. So House, Amazon, Walker are turning out coffee table books that are you know what they have always wanted to buy and we're getting docos docos like this it was it was very controversial though in uh my little part of fandom Mm -hmm. because the doco referred to probably the well not probably genuinely the lowest and and most unpleasant incident that i've been involved in in fandom which was a, a a quite personal and unpleasant stash between uh, some people in Sydney and some people in, in Melbourne um, mm-hmm. about something that ended up on, on that documentary. Um, and I'm not going to go into the full story because without half an hour to tell it properly in Google Sides, that would be totally unfair. But Ooh. but it, it, it was actually, there was actually quite a nasty little sort of dust up over something that was in that documentary. So that was controversial as well. But Was that discovered at that meeting or... Or was that no, a sealed no. copy they were giving away at the meeting? Ooh, no, I think it was a sealed copy. Okay. I don't remember when we actually saw the doco. I certainly didn't for a little while after because I don't think I got a copy from the UK of that. I think I got an Australian one and they they did take months to come out. But, but yeah, look, it was a big deal to include the CD in it because the BBC, going right back to when JNT was the unofficial or semi-official consultant on the... Doctor Who video range really struggled with what do we do about releasing stories with missing episodes mm. and JMT's solution was that you got an actor from the show to come in and basically do, do, do the talking head the, the letter referred to so yeah. for those who aren't familiar the, the first release on VHS of The Invasion you watched no you didn't even you, you opened with Nick Courtney saying hey this is what happens in part one of The Invasion and it was about three sentences <laughs> And then you'd watch part two and part three, and then Nick Corden would be back with sort of another three sentences. Um, and, and, and it wasn't even to sort of cover what happened in that episode. It was just enough to get you from the end of part three to the start of part five. So, you know, yeah. 
enough to tell you that the reason why the Doctor isn't in the warehouse. You know, the, the Doctor got out of the cliffhanger. He then went to another location, and a cliffhanger happened. Here's the episode. So, you know, and, and, and now and, I'm and, off to the pub. And, yeah, yeah. It was it was enough to sort of get you um get get the characters moved from where they needed to be. And and, and as somebody who had a lot of audio cassettes and read a lot of the Target novels, I, I was very relaxed about that because I kind of knew the stories. Mm. But I get for someone who's just going, the invasion, cool, I, I don't know what this is about, and puts it on and they're like, so who's that guy? And, and why is that guy there? <laughs> and and they didn't do too many of them. In, in fact, when J&T left the range, they, they got pulled. And I think there was a Carol Ann Ford did some for Reign of Terror that wasn't released, and Michael Craze did some for the, the 10th Planet that wasn't released. Oh, that's interesting. That's my memory of it, yeah. I'm enjoying the way he says, oh, look, we could do so much with, uh, you know, the moon base. We could redo that. And I think, oh, gosh, you know, within a certain period of time, there's this DVD where they animated it. And and actually in an animation style that I think is better than the current animation style that they use because it seemed more bespoke because they're only doing, you know, they're not, they're not trying to do a whole story like, you know, uh, Fury from the Deep or something like that, where they have to have these cookie-cutter uh, sort of characters that they sort of animate almost like marionettes. It was actually more sort of drawn animation in the moon base, I, I think, is, is better. And I think, uh, gosh, if this guy could have <laughs> imagined what they were actually going to do in time, wow, you know, because not that long between 99 and when that um, DVD would have came out, relatively. No, but it, it is ironic though because I actually think that the Ice Warrior animations are probably the worst of the range. They they're those very South Parky animations that at one stage it literally has a you know an Ice Warrior sort of Cartman style sort of bobbing along the frame rather than walking. It's really really bad. <laughs> oh yeah, um, the, the 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 animation styles because they used all different studios in the early days. You know, mm, so mm. I don't think the people who did the moon base were the same as who did the ice warriors. No, no, and well, so I don't think so. Or they had less budget, or different people. Or something and they were probably yes. different again from whoever did the invasion when that was done. Whereas now, I think it is one team, and I think there's an Australian component to the team as well. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked on your show, on your episode. Uh no, look, they're they're the key points that I have. Uh, it's been you know really really quite interesting because I I can remember. Um, a big Australian summer's day being at Ridley College of Melbourne University, which hosted oh, maybe 20 years of uh, club Christmas parties. Um, famously, um, I, I know um, a follower of the, the podcast, uh, Marco, there, there was a big willow tree in the centre square of this college, and Marco went to grab it and said, ah, crinoid attack, and brought half the tree down on top of him. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this big flurry to try and destroy the evidence before we all had to leave. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> Yeah, um, so yeah, that, that that sort of reminded me of, of big, big Australian summers and Christmas and being excited when the latest Doctor Who videos were arriving in the country. Yeah, it's it, it's it's amazing, you know, because this is one release that I did not get. I, I don't know why. Maybe it was price, maybe I just wasn't buying videos at the time. Actually, I was probably interested in converting to DVDs around 99. Yeah, I'll be only a couple of years off buying my first DVD player. Yeah. I think it was when I started working full-time. So in 2003, I think, was when I bought my first DVD player. Maybe even a year earlier when I was just working a bit. But certainly, I was only a couple of years away from, look, I'm going to have a DVD player. And the DVD range was coming out. And it's like, well, 
do I buy the Reign of Terror on VHS knowing that at some point I'm going to buy it again on DVD? Yeah. Um, and, and, and some I did. Like Invasion of the Dinosaurs I did because my off-air copy was pretty pretty ordinary of that. Um, certainly part one. So I bought that on VHS. But, you know, like the sensor rights, it's like, well, you know, can I live with my off-air copy of the sensor rights? For, or, well, not off-air, but, you know, yeah. a, 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 you know, fan dub of the, the censoring. I, I can live without that till the DVD comes out. So, yeah, there, there was a phasing out by that stage. Brilliant. Well, look, Dave, we've done an episode with just two letters. We have. It's been fun, as always. <laughs> All right, then. See you next time. See you next time.